Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Horsham. This message is by Colin Urquhart. Well, what you have just seen is a good introduction. Because we're going to talk about prayer. How to pray effectively. Does anybody want to see more effectiveness in their prayer? Well, have you ever let Jesus teach you to pray? You see, we can read lots of books, good books that are around about prayer. I've written some myself, and they can be helpful, they can be a blessing. But the greatest blessing of all is when you let Jesus teach you to pray. So we're going to sit at his feet this morning and see what he would teach us. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 11. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now, these men that were Jesus' disciples were Jews who were brought up with a life of prayer. They would have prayed all their lives. But when they saw Jesus pray, there was something different. And what they saw in the ministry of Jesus is that his prayers always got answered. He didn't just pray for the sake of of praying, prayer was an effective means of seeing the life and power of God released into the lives of other people. So on this occasion, one of them said, teach us to pray like you pray. So Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father. Now, he's about to teach them what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. There's another context in which Jesus taught this prayer. That was in the Sermon on the Mount when he was talking to a vast number of people, several thousands. On this occasion, he uses the same prayer when he's talking to these disciples about how to pray. This is a much more intimate context than preaching to the multitude. But still, Jesus is saying the essence of prayer is the same. It begins out of relationship. You only call someone father 
when you have a relationship. You don't call anyone your father, unless you're a Roman Catholic, who is not your father. I was brought up in the Catholic wing of the Anglican Church, and believe it or not, when I was first ordained, everybody called me father. I've got over it. I once took a man in his mid-70s to Lords to see some cricket because he was a great cricket lover and he was a bit deaf and so he always spoke with a loud voice. At the time I was in my mid-twenties <laughs> and all day long he was calling me FATHER! <laughs> but as I say, I've got over it. <laughs> when you pray, you pray out of relationship. That's the first thing Jesus was teaching them. Your prayer will only be as good as your relationship. So if you're going to be effective in prayer, you're going to be concerned about your relationship with the one to whom you're praying. Father, hallowed, holy, praised be your name. Because you're praying to someone who is your father, but who is also so much greater and more wonderful than you are, your prayer will come out of praise. Yes. Your prayer will come out of relationship. It will also come out of worship. So Jesus is really saying to the disciples, don't rush into your prayer time and start gabbling away at what you want God to do Remember, you're in relationship. Worship the one with whom you are in that relationship. He's not intending that this prayer should be just spoken like a parrot. He's talking about the essence of prayer. Then he says, now what should be the subject of your prayer? You see, the trap that most Christians fall into is that they themselves are the main subject of their prayer. And Jesus, obviously when he prayed, Jesus was not the main subject of his prayer. Now we know he prayed out of relationship with the Father and we know that he said he couldn't do anything himself. He was completely dependent upon his father for whatever he was to say and whatever he was to do, all the miracles and so on that he performed were all the work of the father through the son. But you see, what Jesus was concerned about was not to pray for himself, but to pray for the mission, the ministry to which God had called him. And that mission was, of course, to bring the good news of the kingdom and to establish the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven among men. So he says you pray out of relationship, you pray out of worship, you pray out of the purpose of God. Not your purpose, not your own selfish needs. You pray first of all out of the purpose of God. If you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, then everything you need will be added to you. But you get the priorities right. 
So you're praying about God's kingdom purposes. Let your kingdom come. What does that mean? It means that you're praying for God's will to be done on earth. Now, of course, that's going to include you, but you're not just praying for little you because it doesn't matter how holy and anointed you are, you are not going to cause the kingdom of God to come on earth. You will have your small part to play in that, but God is tell Jesus is telling the disciples, you're praying for something much bigger, much more expansive than your own tiny little ministry. You're praying about God's kingdom purposes. You're praying that his will will be done in the entire earth. Now Jesus is saying to the disciples, if you're going to pray like I pray, that's what you're praying for. He's saying, you're part of my mission. The Father has sent me to bring the kingdom of God to the earth. I am making you as my disciples part of that same mission part of that same ministry. So let the essence of your prayer, the substance of your prayer, be that the kingdom of God will come and the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is why you need to be here on Wednesday evening because the whole body of Christ has this commission from God to be praying effectively. And we can only pray effectively when we pray together, not just individually, but as one body. Because where there is unity, God commands the blessing. So coming together to pray for God's kingdom purposes is going to affect Horsham, Crawley, Worthing, Burgess Hill, 25-mile radius, and much more beyond that. I think some people think their prayer isn't going to count for much. Well, just listen on to what Jesus says. The next thing he says is give us each day our daily bread. Now, what does he mean by that? That we'll have sufficient food to eat? No, he's, he's really saying to them, you are part of these kingdom purpose, this kingdom purpose of God. And every day you need God to supply for you everything you need to fulfill your part in that. You're not, you're not praying for the meeting of your own selfish needs, but you're praying that you will have the supply of God constantly in your life, day by day. Now, notice, he said, give us today our daily bread. Don't pray for tomorrow. Tomorrow will look after itself. You see, Jesus anticipates that people will be praying every day. And what you download from heaven is what you need every day. That God will give you today what you need for today. Tomorrow when you pray, he will give you what you need tomorrow. But he won't give you today what you need tomorrow. So he's saying you're in relationship with the Father every day of your life. So, of course, you're worshiping him every day. You're concerned about his purpose in the world every day. And you're concerned that you will download from heaven everything you need to fulfill your part in that purpose. Yes. Okay, so then he says, forgive us our sins as we also forgive anyone who sins against us. You pray out of relationship with Father. 
But you pray out of relationship with one another because the corporate prayer is so important. Where there is unity, God commands the blessing. But if there is any unforgiveness, if there is any division, if there is, uh, is any uh, hurt or anything that would divide believers from one another, the first effect that that will have is to undermine their prayer. It will make their prayer ineffective. In other words, God won't really take much notice of it. So you have to be in right relationship with God, in right relationship with others, praying in unity with them, then, only as, as we had in that video just now, two or three, it will be done by our Father in heaven. But the unity with others is just as important as your unity with God when it comes to prayer. So if things need to be put right with someone else, put them right. Remember Jesus said on another occasion, before you offer your gift at the altar, go and get reconciled with your brother. If there's any hurt or if there's any issue there, put that right first, then come and offer your gift. And of course, when Jesus taught this same prayer in the Sermon of the Mount, uh, at the end of it, he emphasized especially this business of forgiving one another. That if you forgive one another, then your Father in heaven will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, then your Father in heaven will not forgive you. That's why, you see, if you're in a place of unforgiveness before God, that's going to undermine the effectiveness of your prayer. And then Jesus says, and lead us not into temptation. In other words, your relationship is going to affect your prayer. But so is your walk with God in that relationship. Therefore, you keep out of the way of evil. The enemy is always going to be tempting you to divert from the will and the purposes of God. So you need to stand firm against any temptation to do that. Perhaps the greatest sin in a Christian's life is prayerlessness. Because, you see, when a Christian doesn't pray... He is in effect saying to God, I can depend upon myself, not you. That is just about the greatest insult that you could ever direct towards God. I don't need you. I don't need to pray. I don't need to depend upon you. I can do it myself. So what we see is in this relationship... Praying people are those who are really surrendered people. They're submissive people. They're people that have yielded their hearts to the Father through Jesus. Now you notice at this time, Jesus isn't saying anything about praying in his name. We'll come to that a little later. Why that is the case. You remember at the Last Supper, he said to the disciples, up to this point you have prayed nothing in my name. 
So he's not talking about using the name of Jesus to the disciples at this point. Now, it says that Jesus, whenever he spoke, always used a parable. So he then goes into a parable. Because he wants the people to understand, he wants the disciples to understand, not only what to pray, but how to pray. So then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. This seems a bit of a strange parable for Jesus to teach at this point. After all, God isn't in bed with his children and he doesn't lock the door. What is Jesus saying? Often, it seems when you pray that that is what the situation seems like. Am I getting through? Is anyone there? Are you really listening? Are you taking notice of what I'm saying, Lord? Are you asleep? Is it your day off? So what's Jesus' remedy to this? I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread, because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. When you pray, you will need to pray with boldness because it's the boldness that moves God. When we are bold, he knows we mean business. And what is boldness in prayer? Boldness refuses to take any answer except the right answer. That man will keep knocking at the door until the one in the house gets up and gives him the bread. He will not take no for an answer. Why? He's not praying about his own need. This friend of mine has turned up. I've got nothing to give him. How many people do you know you've got nothing you can give them to meet their need? But Jesus has. 
and he wants you to be bold enough to take hold of what he has to feed your friend. And you're not going to take no for an answer. Are you there? This is the kind of prayer Jesus likes. You see, when they saw, when those disciples saw Jesus praying, they understood he will never take no for an answer. Everything he prays for happens. And he's so bold about what he asks. And I think, you see, when they saw that, they thought probably to themselves, dare we be so bold? Before God? Yes. Bold and persistent until we get what we want. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of Pastor Clive's testimony. When he was uh, younger than he is now, he wanted to participate in motocross. You know, motorcycling that goes over jumps and things, highly dangerous and all the rest of it. Well, Caroline and I were not too much in favor of this. We did not think it was a brilliant idea. But he was insistent and he said, I need... Uh, a motocross bike. So I said, okay, you understand the principles of faith, you better pray for one. <laughs> so he said, well, Dad, you are a man of faith and you teach us to agree in faith, so I want you to agree with me <laughs> that God will supply a motorbike. So I said, okay, I'll agree that with you, but understand your mum and I are not going to buy it for you. This is not a subtle way of getting us to answer our own prayer. No, I'll agree with you that God... So we, we agreed in prayer. Now, <clears throat> persistence in prayer is important. So I would go to get into bed at night pull back the cover to get into bed, and there would be a little notice on the bed which simply said, Yamaha. <laughs> I would sit down at my place at table, and there on my table mat, Yamaha. I could even go to my Bible and open it up, and there was a little note, Yamaha. Then the music changed. It became Kawasaki. <laughs> he got his bike. And Caroline and I didn't pay a penny towards it. Persistence. Motivation. Determination. See, every one of those notices was a backup to his prayer. 
It was actually part of the prayer. I, I realized that. So I never told him off. I never said to him, don't keep putting those notices there. I realized how important it was to actually prove the demonstration. He's the man of faith that he is because he was brought up to be a person of faith. And let me tell you, if God can supply a motocross bike, he can supply anything. <laughs> Praise God. Boldness, determination. Turn on to Luke chapter 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Always pray. Persistence. Just stay in Luke 18. But I need to just read uh, what Jesus said after that parable in Luke 11. You don't need to turn back. He said, as he ends the parable, he says, because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask. Now, I've told you before, that Greek word means keep on asking. I've translated this, this continuous action in the truth version, uh, and the same thing happens in the Amplified Bible. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Keep on. So often we think one prayer, oh, God forgive us if we ever think I fulfilled my duty by praying. Dear Lord, forgive us if we ever regard prayer as a duty and not as a joy. The joy of having fellowship with our Lord and our Master. God, forgive us if we ever think our prayer time is just a duty I have to fulfill as part of my Christian life. And I don't come to that time of prayer with expectation that I'm going to be with my Lord and my King, my Father and my Master. And then Jesus makes this statement, for everyone who asks, everyone who keeps on asking, receives. Everyone who keeps on knocking, the door will be open. Everyone who keeps on seeking will find. It's that persistence, boldness, and persistence. They go together. If you're bold, you will persist till you get the right answer. Not any answer, the right answer. The right answer is the meeting of the need so that God is glorified. So then Jesus teaches this Parable of the persistent widow. Then Jesus told his disciples, we're in chapter 18 now, a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And again, he uses rather a, a strange example. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. But there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, 
even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps nagging me, keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wears me out with her coming. And Jesus says, well now, if an unjust judge who doesn't really care about people will reward that persistence, what do you think God will do for those who persist? And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Are you listening? Are you listening? Who cry out to him day and night. Not my 10 minutes prayer, not my half an hour's prayer, not my prayer hour, but cry out to him day and night. Beloved, as you live, so you pray. As you pray, so you live. Prayer is not an activity. Prayer is your way of life. If you're a Christian. Jesus says, when you pray, go into the secret place, shut the door, pray to your Father in heaven in secret, and he who sees what you do in secret will reward you openly. Why do you need to be there in secret? Because you're going to cry out to the Lord. You're going to cry out. I mean, you're not going to have a nice little quiet time. There's a time to be quiet. There's a time to shut up and listen to what God is saying. But when it comes, to seeing the will of God established and you know what the will of God is and you, you're determined to see the will of God established in your circumstances, you're going to cry out to yeah, God yeah. day and night. Nobody's going to put you off. Nobody's going to stop yeah. you praying. It's not going to be, oh, well, I fulfilled my duty. I prayed. You are so determined. You will cry out day and night. This is Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. Now there's something that says to us, but if I am in a place of faith, it should happen immediately. But you see, these parables that Jesus taught, do not support that. Oh, there are times we pray and we see an immediate answer. I've known situations where I've believed and God has done it even before I got around to praying. Why? Because he sees our hearts and he sees the faith in our hearts. So yes, there are many, many situations. But I tell you, the situations that build up your spiritual life are those where you have to persevere. 
where you have to be bold and determined and to keep praying and you're not going to take no for an answer. God does not want to refuse you. But the scripture says the testing of your faith proves it's genuine. And like Abraham, we have to inherit the promises of God by faith with patience. Now Abraham believed that God would give him a son, Isaac. 25 years after he was given the promise, Isaac was born. 25 years. Abraham was a man of faith. He persevered in that faith. Oh, he made the mistake somewhere along the line of listening to his wife <laughs> who suggested that he should give God a helping hand and sleep with her maidservant. Abraham took one look at the maidservant and thought that was a good idea. <laughs> and problems, we're still living with the problems that were the result of, of, of uh, Abraham's mistake. But you see, the son of inheritance was not Ishmael, but Isaac, because he was, the, he was the child of God's promise. Now, beloved, on our last encounter evening, last Thursday week, we received the first drops of rain. Now, most people, when it rains, put up an umbrella to keep dry. I want you to imagine the rain is falling, not just a few drops, but each one of those Drops of rain is blessing. Healing, provision, blessing, salvation, evangelism, fruit, power, life, joy, peace. All the response to prayer. You could disregard this message and even what God is doing amongst us and put your umbrella up. Say, no, Pastor, I'm all right as I am, thank you. I'll continue to pray as I've always prayed. I've got my nice, neat little prayer life and I'm going to go on just as I always have done. Thank you very much. I'm nice and dry and you will remain dry while everybody else gets soaked with Jesus. 
So I suggest that you don't even put your umbrella up. But your prayer is, Lord, I want to be drenched, soaked through and through with all that you're wanting to pour from heaven into the life of kingdom faith at this time. Now, the last couple of Tuesdays, I've, we've had some two important messages, the keynotes, and you can download those. I'm just going to repeat one or two things that I said then because that will help you to see the whole picture. But listen to those two messages because they will help you to understand how important it is that you actually see this message that you're listening to now being outworked in your life. When did, when did we first experience those first drops of rain? It was on the last encounter night on Thursday. Now, all those that were there know that there was a, a wonderful sense of God's presence. We were gripped in the presence of God. And that's the first sign of uh, when a move of God is going to develop. Uh, that is not the move of God, it's just the beginning. It, it's God gets hold of people in his grip. And then he begins to work on them and to move on them. Now, I was leading the meeting at that point, And I was praying. I don't know whether you were conscious of what I was praying or how I was praying. You might just have had your focus on the Lord himself, which is fine. But I'll tell you how I was praying. Lord, you have to come. You cannot deny us. You cannot deny us, Lord. We cannot fulfill your will and your purpose unless you come upon us by the power of your Spirit. He was getting an earful. And he loved it because he answered it. And he came. Boldness, determination. Why? Because God had spoken to me even before our 21 days of fasting and prayer began, telling me how it had to end, what he needed to do by the time that those 21 days were over. And we came to that last night and what he told me hadn't happened yet. So I was telling him, Lord, it's got to happen. You've got to do it. He likes boldness. He likes determination. You see, you're not trying to tell God to do something he doesn't want to do. You're telling him what he's promised to do. And he knows that you believe it because you're so bold 
and so determined, you will not take no for an answer. You will not be denied. I want you to take hold of that phrase. You will not be denied. It's the secret of effective prayer. You will not be denied. You see, so often we pray prayers, we pray words, and we don't know what's going to happen. We, don't, we wonder what's going to happen. We, we think this might happen, that might happen. It would be nice if that happened. It would be good if that happened. But, of course, something else might happen. I don't know whether it's the will of God. or. You see, wishy-washy prayer like that is absolutely useless. It's hardly, it's a waste of breath. The scripture says, we do not know how to pray as we ought. Now, if you want Jesus to teach you to pray, that's where you begin. You say, Lord, I don't know how to pray. But you taught your disciples, I want you to teach me. And I can only pray in the way that I ought to pray in the power of the Spirit. I can't pray without the Spirit because you say that we don't know how to pray, but only the Spirit in us can intercede according to the will of God. So I need your Spirit to be praying in me. I need, I need you, Holy Spirit, to give me the prayer. Now, in one of those keynotes, I used an illustration which is a very powerful example of what I'm talking about. Some years ago in the history of Kingdom Faith, before actually we had the church, we experienced a revival. And at that time, I was leading a lot of big evangelistic crusades. And the revival actually began because when we prayed about these missions, these crusades, God had said that we were to take revival into each one. But although we were experiencing great blessing and great fruitfulness in the ministry at that time, we were not quite in revival. So we were praying uh, as, uh, as a community as we lived then. There were about 60 or so of us in the community. We were praying that God would bring us into that place of revival. And uh, these were big missions. One of them was to Manchester, which took in 70 churches. I mean, they were, ma they were major events. But we had the responsibility to take revival into each one of those situations. That was the will of God. So we had to come to that place ourselves. Well, it's a long story and there's no time to go into all the detail. Sufficient to say that on the weekend before the first of these missions began, we had a weekend of prayer because God told us, abandon all your plans and pray. And Jesus turned up big time. He just moved in. He moved upon us in his holiness and his glory. And suddenly we were in a place of revival. 
in all those crusades, we experienced revival. Usually the first two days were days of great blessing, and then there would be the breakthrough, on, usually on the third night. <clears throat> that meant sometimes that hundreds of people would run forward, sometimes even while I was still preaching, and they'd fall on their faces and start crying out to God. We never needed to pray for anyone. We never needed to lay hands or minister to anyone. But people came to the Lord. They got filled with the Spirit. They were delivered. They were healed. Miracles were happening. Just directly from the Lord. Now, to me, that's revival. That's the fruit of revival. We were the ones that had been revived, and that was the fruit that came out of the revival. So that, that happened in all of these crusades and in other meetings that we were leading in between the crusades until it came to the last one. Are you interested in that? Yeah. Oh, okay. The last one was in the Welsh Valleys, <laughs> South Wales, where the Welsh revival had happened. night after night of blessing. But we came to the last night and we had not had revival. Now God's word was that we were to take revival into all, not all except one of these crusades. Now the meetings were taking place in what had been a graphite factory, there was no meeting place big enough for the crowds that were anticipated in, in, in the Welsh valleys there. But a Christian businessman had bought this factory which he was going to use for his business. And he said, well, if you get a gang of people in to clean it up, because graphite, you know, that makes pencils, all the graphite filthy. Clean the place up, I'll build a toilet block so that you can have the meetings here. And I can use the toilet block for my business afterwards, which is a very generous offer. So that's what happened. There was no heat there, and it was mid-October by the time this, this was the last of these missions. So there were these industrial blowers, you know, to boost up the heat. What they hadn't thought of was a place for my team and myself to pray. And the only place was the manager's office, which they hadn't bothered to clean up, and which was freezing cold, because there was actually no heat in there. So night by night, we, and, and in those days, we would pray for two hours before the meeting. We would have had a meeting before the meeting. If we didn't meet with God, the people wouldn't meet with God. So we were in this filthy room, and we'd be on our faces, never mind the dirt. We'd be on our faces before God. And I was crying out to God. Now, I've only got the word of the others who were present in the room with me. They said, you were screaming at Jesus. You were screaming at him. And 
It was a freezing cold room, but I, I, I was absolutely rolling with perspiration, with sweat. I was so hot, so intense. I was telling God, you said revival in everyone. You've got to turn up tonight. As I was praying, I saw Jesus. I can see it as clear now as when it happened. He started to my right-hand side, and he walked across my vision. And when he was right in front of me, he turned away and walked away. Well, I mean, he got an earful. <laughs> Lord, you can't go! You can't leave us! Nothing can happen without of you! You must stay! And he stopped. And he looked at me. And he said, my people here do not want me. And he turned away again and went on. Well, I went ballistic. <laughs> According to the other guys there, I went absolutely ballistic. I was shouting. I was railing. <coughs> Jesus stopped again. And he turned to me. Now listen. He said to me, for your sake, I will tarry. Now, tarry is not a word I would never ever use. It's a word actually that's associated with revivals. It means that God will stay. His presence will stay amongst us. He said, for your sake, I will tarry. The next thing I knew is the people were shaping, shaking me. They said, Colin, Colin, the meeting should have started 10 minutes ago. And I said, well, I'm not in any state to lead a meeting. You better go in and lead the meeting. I'll come in when I can. So they went off and started the meeting, and I said, Lord, what do you want me to preach tonight? And he said, I just want you to tell everybody what has taken place in this room and what I said. So when it came to, I didn't really preach. I just told them what I told you. Well, the heavens opened. The Spirit of God fell upon the whole place. It was the most amazing meeting of course, this was back in the early 1980s, so some of the people there, were their parents had been in the Welsh Revival in the early part of the century. And people came up to me at the end and they said, Pastor, we've heard what our parents said about the Revival. Tonight, we've seen it and tasted it for ourselves.
Listen, my friends. God did that. I didn't do anything. Except I interceded. I wasn't praying for myself. I wasn't praying for the team. But for what God said his purpose was in that place. And I would not take no for an answer. And I would shout at him. I'd scream at him. I could not be denied. And his word was for your sake. Because you interceded. Because you were bold. Because you persisted, because you were determined. You know, I realized that night what the prayer of one person could affect. <coughs> oh, the other guys were, were supporting me in prayer, I'm sure. I didn't know what they were doing, I was just lost in God. But you see, when you are determined, yeah. when you will not take no for an answer, right. yeah. God will hear you. When you hold on to the words of promise that he's given, it's God's will that those words shall be fulfilled. Yeah. And you will not be denied. When you're in that place of faith. Beloved, this is D Jesus teaching us how to pray with boldness, with persistence, with determination. And I just want you to know that this is the kind of prayer which produces revival. This is the kind of prayer which we will have personally. If you depend upon the Holy Spirit, he'll work it in you. In our small groups. Because the effectiveness of those groups will depend upon their prayer. On what God will do in our towns as we come together like we will on Wednesday not just to have another meeting or a prayer meeting, but to really engage with God. To pray in such a way that we will not be denied. Because that's the point we've come to. When it's begun to rain, it's not going to stop raining. It's going to pour. And you see, we're not praying for ourselves. Right. Come on. Yeah. We're praying. For that multitude, yeah. God has promised us 5,000 yeah. 5, families. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> harvest. Yeah. We are praying for all those yeah. that are the harvest. Yeah. We're not concerned about ourselves. We're not coming to pray for ourselves. Bless me. No, I want a nice little experience with you. <laughs> no. But if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, every one of our needs will be met as well. Yeah. But it's getting the perspective right. Yeah. 
Jesus. So, beloved, we, we have to stop because of time, I expect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why. We have to stop. But you see, I want you to understand that the only effective prayer involves every one of the Trinity. The Father, praying in the name of Jesus. There's no time for me to get into what that means and why Jesus said he hadn't prayed in his name before. There's no time for that now. Another time. We pray to the Father through what Jesus has accomplished in the name of Jesus. Which means we pray in the same way that he would pray with the faith and boldness he had. Doesn't mean we just use his name. Say, in the name of Jesus. So everybody knows it's time to say amen. That's not praying in the name of Jesus. It's praying with his boldness, praying with his faith, praying with his determination. In the power of the Spirit. And we can't pray effectively without the Holy Spirit. That's right. Let's all stand. Oh, hallelujah. Just thank God you don't have a spiritual umbrella. You're not going to put your umbrella up. You're not going to try to shield yourself from what God is going to do in these coming weeks and months. Can you say to him, Lord, I want to get drenched. I want to get drenched in your spirit. I want to get absolutely soaked. I want, I want to receive all that you are ready to pour out. Not for our own sake, but so that all the promises that you've given us can be brought into fruition. That can be fulfilled. That we will see harvest. Though we won't just pray for it, we will see the harvest. That this place will be filled with new believers. Week after week after week, we will see several people coming. We won't be able to have enough Alpha courses to cope with the number of people that are seeking after you. We thank you, Jesus, that, that they won't even be waiting for Alpha courses. That the power of your spirit will be moving in such a way that people will be encountering you and meeting you. They'll only have to come here amongst us and the Spirit of God will come upon them. Amen. The power of God will transform their lives. In those days of revival, you know, the God, God said to me, Colin, this is only a foretaste. It's going to happen for a, 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 for a short time for a few months, actually it went on for three years. But you will see the feast. This is only the foretaste, the feast. Yes. Beloved, this is the beginning of the feast. Yes. Come on, we're going to see the feast. We're going to see the feast. Praise God, we're going to see the feast. Come on, lift your voice. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord, you're going to be part of the feast. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, just, just before we finish, I want you just to be still for a moment and just say, Lord, I realized this morning that I don't really know how to pray. But you're my teacher. And Lord, I want you to teach me to pray as Jesus prayed.
Lord, I know I can't copy that boldness. It's got to come from my heart. So do in my heart whatever is necessary. So I pray with that boldness. But Lord, I, I have that relationship with you where I can cry out day and night and know that I will not be denied. That everything you have promised to do, I will see you do. Thank you, Lord, for a transformation in my prayer life. Oh, I believe God has enriched our prayer life so much in the last few weeks. So he's begun the process. But there's so much more, my friends, so much more. He'll have us all in that place before long where we know we cannot be denied. And if two or three of you gather together and know you cannot be denied, it will be done by my Father in heaven. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's praise him. Let's praise him. Let's thank him. And just lastly, can you say to the Lord, Lord, my prayer life is not going to be focused around me any longer. It's going to be focused around your will. Praying your will into being. That your kingdom will come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as I seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, everything else will be added to me. So I praise your holy name. Come on, let's shout hallelujah to the King of Kings. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Now, if any of you have been shocked at me saying that I shouted and screamed at Jesus, you shouldn't treat Jesus like that. You're too nice to understand how to pray effectively. Because let me tell you, it was when I screamed at him that Jesus said, for your sake, I will tarry. Hallelujah. And revival broke out that night. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.